If you ask the best in the world the single greatest secret to success, they'll smile and give a gentle laugh. You're asking the wrong question. Being extraordinary is not a single element. It cannot be distilled down to one thing. We're told that being a success is a magical thing that happens in a place you'll arrive. The hard part is that this long-held truth is the biggest lie. Extraordinary features humans that have reached the top of their field and become extraordinary humans. The door to being extraordinary is now open. Will you walk in? Hey everyone, how is it going? Jeremy Slate here, and if you are brand new to the show, which everybody listening to this episode is, welcome to the first episode of Extraordinary. Extraordinary is a podcast that details extraordinary humans and how they got to be that way, some of the things they've beaten, some of the things that they've done, and really this comes out of a uh, my original podcast feed, if that's where you came from, called the Create Your Own Life Show, where I interview incredible people. But the thing that's kind of started to happen over the years is I've had that show since 2015 is I've seen certain people that are just different. There's just something about them that's different. And as I've kind of went through this, I've looked at a bunch of different things and I've, I've noticed that there's a lot of things they have in common. One being that they saw adversity as a tool for growth. And the episode we're going to get into today is somebody that I just really admire for what he did with adversity that they don't find that following their passion is the best way to do things. They they find what they're good at and they go after it. They seek things that are big, scary, and goals that are going to take a lot to get to. So this show, we're really featuring the best of the best, extraordinary human beings and what it means to be that. We will have professional athletes on here. We will have incredible business people on here. We'll have some best-selling authors on here. And we're going to take a look at what really makes someone extraordinary. And in this interview, I'm taking a look at a conversation I had back in August of 2016 with Bedros Koulian. And the reason I wanted to have this be the first episode we lead off the series with is because I have so much admiration for Bedros' story. Having his family come from Armenia to America... And his dad came here with five kids, including himself, $250 in his pocket, had to try and figure out how to pay rent and put food on the table. And it actually left them dumpster diving in the first couple of weeks to try and find food and things like that. So I find it very admirable when somebody's given a situation like that. And then he went on to build a multi-million dollar franchise business and actually help a lot of other people to be very, very successful in that called Fit Body Boot Camp. He's since moved into doing even more stuff online and been a huge influence on the online world with some of the masterminds and things like that he has built. But he's somebody that basically he had to go through so much that he's willing to take so much more than other people. And I find that to be truly extraordinary. And that's really one of the first key elements that I've looked at in what makes an extraordinary person. And this feed has really come out because I'm, I'm working on a project right now called Extraordinary. And it's actually a book featuring some of these incredible people that we're going to be featuring in this series and the key elements in their life and in their world. And um, I would just really love you to come along this journey with me and to learn from the incredible people that I'm learning from and, you know, really see the lessons that I've learned with them. 
And that's why I wanted to really start off this series with Bedros's story because it just it's one of the ones way, way back, as I mentioned, this was in 2016, that really moved me and really changed the way I looked at a lot of things. So I wanted to share this extraordinary story with you first. And we're going to look at a few different ones as we go along here. Our next extraordinary story coming up will be three-time Indy 500 champion Elio Castroneves, who has an incredible story as well. But I'm just excited to dive into this one. Um, As you guys are hearing this, the pre-launch for Extraordinary the Book is live. So do me a favor and uh, go to jeremyryanslate.com slash extraordinary and support the launch of that book. It would just be so exciting and awesome that you could help me make that dream a reality and really just support this new project and also this new podcast, Extraordinary. If you're enjoying it, make sure you go subscribe wherever you're listening and uh, leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. If you have the time to do that, I would just appreciate it so much. So, Thanks for checking out this show, and I really hope you enjoy this extraordinary story of Bedros Koulian. So I'm really stoked for our guest today on the Create Your Own Life podcast. It's a guy I've been following for a number of years, given my fitness background. His name is Bedros Koulian. Bedros, welcome to the Create Your Own Life podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. It's a uh, pleasure to be here. Totally. I want to kind of start out with your immigrant background, Bedros, because I think that's really the underlying thing that makes you, you know, as tenacious as you are. Could you just give us that story of what it was like for you coming to America and, and you know, the immigrant edge that you have and how you developed that? Sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, back in 1980, I was six years old. My father decided that we're going to escape communist Russia, specifically Armenia, but at the time it was under uh, Soviet Union rule. And uh, he paid the Russian government off 25,000 US dollars at the time. And and let me tell you, it took him six years to raise that money um, so that we can escape. And so we, we escaped communist Russia into Italy. We went from Italy into the American consult and from there entered the United States legally. And I say, I stress that because my father has all just instilled in me that whenever you say how we arrived to the United States, you let everybody know that we entered legally and his belief system. And and I agree to this is that when you enter, when you pay the price to enter somewhere legally, Mm -hmm. you have greater value for that place. You are willing to contribute and make an impact for that place and not just to suck the value out of that place. And, and, you know, that might be a controversial view for some people. I don't know. I don't care, but that is my father's view. And that is the view that I've adopted. And so, uh, as we came to the United States, now I have to draw the picture for you here, Jeremy, that uh-huh. in the, in, in, in Armenia, my dad was part of the 18% of the population that was a member of the communist party. And when you are a member of the communist party, you actually live a pretty good life. There's still oppression and and the KGB kind of walks into your house whenever they want and check out whatever they want if they want to. Uh, But you have a better life. You get some perks. And so the man was willing to leave a better life to come to this country. Uh, We were broke. We only had $250 in his pocket, family of five. And when we got here, even though we came to a country of freedom and opportunity, um, we realized very quickly that without 
knowing the language without having any skill set that can translate into money and without having any direct money in our hands, we were dumpster diving um, to, to eat food. We were renting out the $250 that he paid to someone to uh, for the five of us to stay in their spare bedroom of an apartment for like two or three weeks. And in that time, my dad had three or four jobs pumping gas, delivering newspapers. My brother and sister, who are significantly older than me, worked at a pizzeria and were um, also delivering newspapers at three in the morning. My mom had a job and I was the kid that was kind of left all alone in this apartment in someone else's apartment in the spare bedroom. But that's what we did to survive. And so really, this immigrant edge comes from a, a guy named Rob Yeager. He's my videographer for all the videos I put out. And one day between filming videos, it was actually early 2009, and I launched Fit Body Bootcamp uh, right around that time. And he goes, you are nuts. And I go, why do you think I'm nuts, Rob? He said, well, here the economy just crashed. The housing market's a mess. Giant banks that we never thought would go out of business are, are going out of business. And you're launching an international franchise, and you're making videos with such enthusiasm and passion as though people are actually going to pay you for this franchise. I said, well, of course they are. He goes, you know what you have? You've got the immigrant edge. I, <laughs> I said, Rob, tell me more about that. And he said, well, the immigrant edge, man, you've got that thing where you've seen such oppression. You've seen such setbacks in your life that you just organically, no matter how bad the economy is here, you still live a happy life. And you know that you have more opportunity here than you would have anywhere else. And so that immigrant edge mentality stuck. And the more I think about it, the more I realize that's all it is, is. I've seen such contrast in my life and the opportunities I've had that I know that no matter how bad it gets here in any westernized free country, that we have it infinitely better and we have greater opportunities than anywhere else on this planet. And the only thing we need to do is work hard to actually reap the rewards. Absolutely. And, and that's like a really huge point, too, because I don't know if you've heard of Patrick Bet David, but I had Patrick on the show not too long ago, and he actually grew up um, in, in a camp in Germany after having to flee Iran because of the revolution. And it's just, you know, you guys have seen such, you know, having to work through things that you, you're just not as lazy as a lot of Americans. And I, I say this as somebody that grew up here and was raised here. And, and, and I, I really applaud you for, you know, taking that and pushing forward, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, I want to get a little bit into your marketing background because I know you had a transformation yourself that brought you into fitness as a personal trainer, but it it's becomes very difficult to make some real good sustainable money as a tr as your everyday trainer a lot of times. Can you tell us a story of how you ended up into marketing? Because I think it's actually a really cool story. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's actually a fun, funny story because I was supposed to be a smog technician, man. I was really. I was, yeah, yeah. I was supposed to be that guy that you would bring your car to, especially if you're in like California, parts of New York. Uh, a lot of states don't have, you know, smog laws, but California does. And so you would bring your car to me and, and some auto shop that I would work at. And I would stick the probe in the tailpipe and punch it through the computer. And if your car's emissions are not so high, then you would get be able to register your car for that year. Um, you know, I always thought I, throughout high school and elementary school, I loved cars and, and loved to tinker with cars. And so that was my path. Until, until the summer of 10th grade, uh, sorry, of 11th grade, when I realized the following year, prom was coming up, 
And I was this overweight kid. I had about 35 pounds of fat to lose. I'd never worked out. Um, I was effectively invisible throughout high school. I never played any sports. I was never on any debate team or anything of that sort. Uh, probably the most, uh, I don't know, community involved thing I did was taking a home ec class. Right. So I kept myself invisible. So, but the bottom line there is that I knew I wanted to go to prom and there was this girl that I, in one of my classes that was talking to me, her name was Nakaya and I just had a crush on her. So my goal was, Hey, next year when prom comes up, I'm going to ask Nakaya to the prom and that's that. Well, that summer, the summer before senior year, I started reading muscle magazines and, you know, going through flex magazine, shape magazine, muscle and fitness magazine, you name the publication that had to do with fitness and nutrition and, and, and being active. I read it and applied it. And I came back to school, uh, senior year, having lost 30 pounds of fat. And everybody was just like, holy crap, you're a different person. Who are you? So while I never had the nerve to ask Nakaya to the prom, and so I never went to prom, that summer completely changed the trajectory of my life. And I became so much more outgoing. I had uh, established a sense of confidence about me that I didn't have. That I said, when I leave high school, I want to go and become a certified personal trainer and help other people achieve this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. So that was my my kind of catapult into the fitness world. And of course, you know, you, you think that, okay, now that I look great and I'm certified and I've got my education, people are going to flock to me because look how overweight everybody is. And they all talk about losing weight. Well, as you know, Jeremy, nobody really comes to us. Right. We, we have to prospect and market and sell ourselves and and influence and persuade. And I didn't know any of that stuff. Well, and not to mention, once you have them, the gyms take such a big cut of, you know, what you're working for, too. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's actually the case that I was in. I was actually had a couple, I had two clients, uh, embrace yourself on this one. I had two clients that I was charging $14 an hour at their home, at their home. Uh, so I'd go visit them after work. And then in the big box gym in LA Fitness, I was getting paid $12 an hour to train clients who were paying $45 an hour to the gym. Wow. Yeah. And so I realized real quickly that I was broke. I wanted to make more money. And one of my clients kind of took mercy on me. His name is Jim Franco. And uh, I said, Jim, you know, you come here Monday, Wednesday, Friday at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, um, you, you, you've got this, this energy about you and you're 65 years old. Like you should be an old man and you should be, and you're not, and you want to, you want to build your body. Like, how do you do it? You know, he goes, listen, you're a technician right now. You need to become a salesperson. You need to be evangelical about your product and you're not, you don't know how to market yourself. So he kind of exposed me to my first, uh, to the world of sales and marketing. He, he gave me a, uh, Tom Hopkins sales tape that led to Brian Tracy. Brian Tracy led to, let's see, Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar led to Jay Abraham. Jay Abraham led to Dan Kennedy. Kennedy led to Halbert. And before you know it, I was studying again, just like when I was fat and I was reading through all these publications to get fit. Now I was consuming from the fire hydrant of marketing, influence, persuasion, and sales as though my life depended on it. Because at that point, uh, it's it's worth telling you that at that point, while I was talking to Jim Franco and asking him how he became so successful, I was a personal trainer 
in a big box gym. I had two clients that I trained twice a week in their homes who paid me a whopping $14 per hour. I was also a fry cook at Disneyland. And then on Fridays and Saturdays, I was a bouncer at a gay bar. Wow. And uh, that's because the gay bar paid more than the straight bar. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reason for that, I found out about a week and a half later after they hired me was because skinheads come and wait in the parking lot of, of a gay nightclub, especially in that time in the, uh, in the, in the mid nineties. And they were looking to gay bash. So they were waiting for the nightclub to give out. And then of course the, you know, fights would break out. So it was our job as bouncers to make sure everyone gets to their car safe. So we'd end up getting in fights and I am not a fighter. I'd rather talk my way out of a fight any day. So you can imagine how great my pain was when I had these two other jobs that I didn't have passion towards. And all I wanted to do was help people. So Jim really turned me on to this magical world of marketing, selling, persuasion, and, and making offers, and my life has forever changed. Well, if, if you had to look at it, Bedros, would you say that it's your marketing or is there some other skill that really allowed you to turn a single location into you know a bunch of locations and later a franchise? Because I feel like there's so many gym owners and trainers that really can't make money from even one location. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're doing. You're absolutely right. And again, I'm going to be a little uh, crass, maybe politically incorrect here, but this is the best analogy I can give you. Um, there's two types of of entrepreneurs. There's the entrepreneur that mechanically goes through the motions of marketing. It's like, okay, well, you know, I see Russell Brunson and he talks about funnels and click funnels, and Bedros talks about email marketing, so I'll just, you know, throw up some words on an email and hit send and. And, uh, you know, I know Facebook is good for me. So I'll run a Facebook ad and it'll be like, get 20% off personal training. And these people don't even know, like, or trust you. And so you wonder why no one's trying to buy personal training from you for even a whopping 20% off. And so it's this mechanical thing. And then there's people that are evangelical, that, that believe in their product so much and believe that they are put on this planet um, with a purpose and a gift. And their obligation and duty is to share that gift with people. And when you come from that place, then you decide that I'm going to understand marketing in ways that the guy who markets mechanically doesn't. And when I hit an obstacle and roadblock, I'm going to plow through it where he hits an obstacle and roadblock, he's going to fall and not get up. And so the example I gave at a workshop one time was very fitting. And so I, I like to share that example with you right now, which is. You know, there's there, there, there's two ways to have sex, man. You can uh, just have mechanical sex and uh, be done with it, or you can make love, like life changing, planets exploding, you know, hamstring cramping, hair pulling, love making, right? And and I and I stress this because, listen, both ways we can we can pro procreate and produce a child, but. I'm guessing that most people listening to this want to have that life-changing, you know, world-stopping lovemaking session and not just mechanical sex. And so the same applies in your business. If you're mechanically going through it because you've decided that fitness is good and that you like fitness, well, then I, my challenge to you is that you need to decide that fitness is great and that you love fitness and that you're a soldier of fitness and your obligation is to give everybody who needs your service an opportunity and offer to get on board with you. When you come with that level of intensity and obsession about marketing, selling and promoting yourself because you bleed, you bleed that stuff, then all of a sudden you just 
grow because people are attracted. People can sense that passion and purpose versus the mechanicalness of just going through the motions. Does that make sense? Totally. It's it's more than just like a mindset thing, man. It's 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 like almost like a total like way of being that you're so magnetic that other people just want to be attracted to that. Exactly right. Well, for for yourself, Pedros, how long did it take you once you started your first location and started expanding? How long did it take you to be profitable? So my first location took me a year and a half, uh, believe it or not, because I kind of felt like I better study a lot more information and take smaller steps and not be as aggressive and take such risks. And so what I really had done is I had taken, I had bought so much equipment that I had a massive debt to pay off to Jim Franco. Believe it or not, Jim Franco was my business partner in my first location. I opened my next four locations on my own and then ultimately got into coaching and consulting the fitness industry for a decade. And then from there launched Fit Body Bootcamp, which has now become an international franchise. But it took me a year and a half to get profitable in my first location. That's simply because I took my sweet old time, which in hindsight, I should not have. The second location, third location, fourth location after that, we would literally find the community that we're going to go into. And once I signed a lease and had an address, while my location is being built out, me and my team, which by the way, my team was just two other people, right. uh, would hit the community. We would put 200 lead boxes out, everyone in the community. We would talk to local small business owners and say, hey, we're opening up Premier Results right down the street next to that Albertson supermarket. Uh, it's a 2,500 square foot boutique personal training facility. You guys get to come there and work out absolutely for free. No, not with a trainer, but we let them work out for free and just took, you know, most of them didn't even take us up on that offer. But again, using Cialdini's, you know, and, and everybody listening to this should read Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, using Cialdini's laws of, of reciprocity. When I come to you and go, Hey, Jeremy, listen, we're your neighbors right down the street. You know, you run a day spa here. That's fantastic. If you and your staff ever want to come work out there, let us know. We'll even show you what kind of program to, to, to do on your own. Um, and, and oh, by the way, if there's ever a client that you think could use fitness or fat loss goals, refer them to us and we'd love to give you $100 as a referral bonus. And so we would go in there with lead boxes everywhere and inviting all the local business owners. This is pre-Facebook, pre-Groupon, pre-all that stuff. And man, we would literally open the doors and within weeks, we'd have our, our grand opening where we invited the community to come out to our location. We had a fire truck that we would donate money to for a fire station. And so everybody put $5 in a raffle so that they can uh, win three months of free personal training. And of course, we would match the $5. And so maybe we gave like, whatever, $1,200 to the fire station after the grand opening. And we had all these leads. And it took all but anywhere from three to six weeks to break even. And then after that, it was just all profits because we now found a way to prospect pre-opening instead of open and then slowly and systematically put one pole in the water. And, and the funny thing about that is I think a lot of people couldn't replicate what you did because they're just not willing to put in that type of action. You know what I mean? Like, like I know for myself, when I started my own personal training business, I went door to door doing surveys to tell people who I was. And that's really what you guys were doing was controlling the motion and just hitting the pavement and moving, man. That's absolutely right. And I bet you went to a lot of doors where people said, get the hell out of here. <laughs> Leave my house. <laughs> right. And, and so you've got to get thick skin and you have to realize that they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting the the fact that you want to take some of their time. And so if, if you don't personalize that rejection or that 
criticism, then you just go on to the next door or to the next business and you just do your thing because that's what God has put you on this planet here to do. Absolutely. And was there like a light bulb moment for you? Because it seems like once you kind of got that first thing going and got over the, you know, I have to be careful, you know, you've started so many businesses. Is there one thing that you kind of realized there that made you move forward faster, quicker and expand? Yeah, believe it or not, I was uh, driving to one of my locations. At that point, I had five locations. Uh, This was probably 2001, right before I sold the locations and got into coaching and consulting. And uh, I was reading uh, uh, multiple income streams. What is his name? Robert Allen's book, actually listening to it on audio on a, on a DVD set or a CD set, uh, multiple income streams. And he blew my mind when he's like, you know, you don't just have to be in the one industry. And he used an example of an author who, who is an expert at something and then writes a book. And then because of that book becomes a consultant. And so he had me have a business, a brick and mortar business, He's got his book sales that he's making money from and his business. And he's got his consulting that he's making money from. And, and before you know it, it, the ball rolls. I was like, holy crap, multiple income streams. Yeah, so I can coach. I can consult. Uh, there's nothing stopping me from really going, instead of narrow and deep, going uh, deep and wide across the fitness industry. And today, I I own multiple companies that are doing, well, multiple seven figures. Um I'm partnered in own equity in other companies outside of the fitness industry. And it was really all credited to Robert Allen's book, man. And was that really that thing that made you realize franchising was going to be a big income stream for you? Yeah, yeah. I realized, well, it was it was that. And it was also the fact that even though trainers would buy my programs and would get coaching and consulting from me, they inevitably still didn't have the system. So they had the way of getting leads of, of delivering the results, of converting leads into paying clients, but they didn't have a system to replicate and duplicate and grow into multiple locations like I had done. That took a sense of discipline and that took a, a team and that took systems. And so I realized real quickly that, hey, these guys and gals are stuck. And I asked them, if I created a brand that was so systemized that you can replicate and duplicate, would you get on board? About half of my coaching clients said yes. I said, fantastic. I want you to meet Fit Body Bootcamp. And that's how it all started. Wow. Well, I want to kind of transition a little bit because I, you had an amazing interview with Lewis Howes where you talked about masterminds. And I know myself and a lot of our audience, we keep hearing about you know needing to be part of a mastermind. But if someone's considering either starting one or getting into it, what should they really pay attention to so you know they can get the most value, but they can also provide the most value to others? Yeah, that's a very good question. So there's like a short list of the most important things. And the very, very top thing on that list is that as an expert, Jeremy, you and I know so much knowledge just because our time in the trenches and the amount of work we've done in that time. Um, you know, I'm 42 years old, but I, I, I tell people who are in their 60s and 70s, once I work with them on some level, they, they go, holy cow, you've got like this, like 10 decades of of business experience under your belt. And I said, yeah, I've just worked harder than anybody else that I've come across. And so we have so much knowledge and wisdom to share. And anyone listening to this who wants to start a coaching program, mastermind program has so much knowledge and wisdom to share. We sometimes just throw all, just throw up all that knowledge on our coaching clients. And believe it or not, it actually overwhelms them. And they begin to get this, get into the state of paralysis. 
And so the number one thing I would tell a coach, if you want to add the most value, is you have to understand, one, what type of client is across from you. So if you're running a mastermind, like, for example, I have a, a mastermind called the Seven Figure Formula Mastermind. It's for fitness uh, business owners. If you own a boot camp, personal training studio, a CrossFit box, whatever. And and one guy that comes to mind is uh, Josh Carter. You, you might have heard of Josh Carter. He's now a legend in our industry, and he works with us here at FitBody. Um, he, he launched Carter Fitness back in the day, about 10 years ago. He was one of my first coaching clients. And I remembered even back then, every time I would tell him, you know, kind of offline marketing strategies, like, yeah, go to this business, put out a lead box, uh, go here and, and talk to these business owners. He kept asking me, well, what can I do online? Is What are the SEO things I can do? What is the email marketing stuff I can do? And I realized real quickly that Josh, his strength lies in hiding behind the computer and creating ads and promotions and doing SEO and web stuff because he was just organically good at it. That was factory installed for him. Right. And then there was another guy, his name is James Simpson. Uh, and James has got the gift of gab, man, you could meet James and he, you'll, you'll be like, he's my best friend. How did I never not know this guy? And now James loves, he gets frustrated when he's in front of the computer. Um, He's good at it, but he is great at going and talking to people and, and building relationships and having those people drive the traffic from their business into his business. And so, one, you have to figure out who is the person in front of me and what's factory installed for them. And two, you have to give them the what I call the low hanging fruit. Uh, you have to give them the low hanging fruit action step, typically one or two things only. For them to go and execute and immediately to see results from. In the sales world, they call that a confidence boost, where you give a salesperson a laydown deal, like you know it's a done deal. You have your newest salesperson close that deal, and it gives them a confidence. Mm -hmm. And in the entrepreneurial world, it's the same thing. We're personal trainers. We open up a gym. We're passionate about helping people, but we have no business skills. So if I can figure out that you're good behind the computer... And I can give you one or two things you can do using technology to get leads and convert them quickly into paying clients. You're going to have a confidence boost, an income boost. And now you're going to say, hey, man, I've got newer problems. And typically those newer problems are first world problems. Like I got so many clients, I need to hire another trainer. What do I do next? Right. So that's the thing number one and two that you can do as a coach and, and to add the most amount of value to a client across from you. Now, as far as to get the most value yourself, oftentimes I see too many people starting masterminds where they charge too little. Their philosophy is if I charge you less, I can I can get you to become a client easier. Well, that's all good and true. But then you quickly realize that if you're running a mastermind, it is very labor intensive. I mean, you have to be passionate about it. I love getting on the phone with my coaching clients. I love doing Skype with my coaching clients, being face-to-face -face in a mastermind for a weekend. And so if you're afraid of that labor or you feel that you're under now under charging for that, you can't go to them and say, I want to charge more. Right. And so, you know, typically if you charge too little, you're not going to be motivated enough to help them. And quite honestly, you're not going to run the masterminds well. You're not going to put have them at nice hotels, at nice venues. Take them out to nice dinners. And at the end of the day, a mastermind is really your highest level thing. And it should be the Rolls Royce of your service. I I actually went to uh, signed up for a mastermind where I was paying $4,000 a month to a marketing expert. Uh, and I joined his mastermind. 
And after two months, I dropped out because one, he was holding it in his office and we were all crowded around office chairs and bean bags and stuff like that. Number two, he lunch was served from Subway. His secretary went and, and took everyone's order from Subway. Now, if you're paying four grand a month, I'm taking you to a nice hotel in Las Vegas, San Diego, or Miami. That's where I hold my masterminds. We're eating at the best restaurants. We're in giant conference rooms, and we're being served amazing breakfast, lunches, and dinners. And part of the mastermind process is experience because it's about the environmental exposure of taking a entrepreneur and putting them into a place where they realize, holy crap, this could be my lifestyle. Here's how I could live if I really step up. No one wants to strive to become uh, a person that eats Subway sandwiches at lunch, but everybody strives to live in Miami, San Diego, Las Vegas, and live that lifestyle. So I believe in also changing your environment and exposing you to things that you haven't been exposed to, because that does have a shift and an impact on the way you market, sell, and promote your business. That's an awesome point, Bedros, because I've really never heard that anywhere before about you know really getting into that experience of what it's like to be there. That's awesome, man. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Well, you mentioned skill set before. If you had to look at yourself as an entrepreneur, what skill set have you paid the most attention to developing? That's a great question, man. And uh, quite honestly, it has been the skill set of communication. Because in our brains, in our hearts, we all know what it is that we offer, how amazing that product or service is, uh, the kind of impact it will make and the contribution that you will have. But if you cannot communicate that message clearly with passion and with definitive purpose than the person across from you, whether they're across a web page, a video, face-to-face, a group seminar you're running, uh, a podcast like this. If I cannot articulate and communicate my, my core values to you and what I offer to change your life, you're never going to want to come and get on my email list and to get to know, like, and trust me and to do business with me. And so I found that where more, more people are spending too much time on learning to market and sell. That's all great and fantastic. But if you can't communicate in writing, in speaking, in, in body language, you are fucked. Yep. Absolutely. That is probably, in my personal experience, the biggest thing too. Awesome. When you, you've dealt with a lot of different entrepreneurs, where do you see most of them going wrong, Bedros? Most of them just don't think big enough. That's what it is. And I was there too. I just didn't think big enough. And I thought one business, one location is great. And Jim was like, are you nuts? You have to scale, kid. And I go, what do you mean scale? He goes, you're done growing in this location. It's time to expand to a new location. Like, oh, okay, wow, I have two locations. I've made it, right? And he goes, no, no, no. You need to have a chain of these locations so that one day you might get the opportunity to sell them. And that's exactly what happened several years later. And so most people don't think big enough. They don't think big enough by way of income. They don't think big enough by way of income impact. And they don't think uh, big enough of themselves that they have the capability to actually achieve the outcome they want. So anyone listening to this, it's a young entrepreneur. Think 10 times bigger. Going back to Grant Cardone's book, 10X Rule, think 10 times bigger and take 10 times faster action than you currently do today. If I can go back and change one thing, it would be that. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming and hanging out with us, Pedros, and giving us so much value. Where can listeners connect with you? And I believe you have a 12-month mentorship program as well. 
Correct. Correct. So the best place to connect with me is uh, on Facebook, uh, you know, facebook.com forward slash Bedros Koulian, or you can just go to my blog, BedrosKoulian.com. And um, my mentorship program is easy enough. It's 12MonthMentorship.com. Awesome. Well, Bedros Koulian, thank you so much for being on the Create Your Own Life podcast today. Jeremy, thank you so much. It was a, an, an opportunity that I didn't want to pass up, and I really appreciate you giving it to me. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this extraordinary story of someone that really inspires me, and that's Bedros Koulian. Be sure to check him out on social. Be sure to check him out over at BedrosKoulian.com. And really, just stick around for future episodes of Extraordinary so you can learn right along with me what it takes to be extraordinary, like some of these incredible, incredible individuals that you know we're featuring on the show. And also do me a favor and The pre-launch campaign for the book Extraordinary is going on right now, so please help me support that by going over to jeremyryanslate.com slash extraordinary, and you can support the pre-launch campaign over there to make the dream of Extraordinary, the book, a reality based on some of these extraordinary, extraordinary people we are talking to on this show. Also, to support the show, another thing you can do is make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening and rate and review the show as well. And I just appreciate you so much for doing that and just you know taking your time in order to do that. And our next episode is going to be coming up quite soon. You're hearing this on uh, either Monday or Tuesday. The release date is Tuesday, but wherever you are in the world, it may be Monday, maybe Wednesday. I don't know. <laughs> or you may be listening to it another day of the week. But it is Tuesday, and on Thursday, you can expect our next extraordinary episode um, with somebody that I really admire because I just remember way back in 2001 watching him win his first Indianapolis 500, and uh, that is Elio Castroneves, who went on to win the race three times, and he's one of only 11 people to do that. I'm sorry, one of only four people to do that. Uh, I had him. I don't know where the 11 came from. I think that was a New York Yankees stat, <laughs> but he was one of only four people to do that. Uh, including Al Unzer and a, and a bunch of other really, really cool people. As you guys are going to find, I have a lot of admiration for athletes and a weird statistical knowledge of sports, which is in itself just odd. Um, but you're going to have that coming at you on Monday or on Thursday, sorry. And uh, it's really excited to share that with you. So have an amazing, amazing day and find your extraordinary.